0: Welcome to BR Football Ranks, your favourite football podcast. And this week we are looking at potentially the biggest rivalry in football, El Clasico. My name is Jack Collins and I am joined as ever by Sam Tsai. Hello, mate. Hello, May. And Dean Jones. Hello, Jackson. How are we? We good? Sam, I imagine you must be over the moon because there is no Ballon d'Or ceremony and that means that you aren't going to have to write a Ballon d'Or power rankings and it means your Twitter mentions are going to be like filled with about 50% less hatred than they normally are year on year
1: uh yeah it's going to be a good 50% cut I'm really pleased that there's no Ballon d'Or but when you said Sam you sh- I bet you're delighted I thought well I ranked the reasons why I'm delighted in my head naturally because that's how my brain works number one Granada made it into Europe. Yeah, hey, that is true. Yeah, well done. Congratulations. Number two, I got a prediction right for once. Real Madrid did actually win La Liga. Yeah. I get You've to been... sing about that. I get to sing about those because I don't have You've them very You're over in, in a week. And then three, yeah, no Ballon d'Or. Oh, Fantastic, I hate the Ballon d'Or. Obviously, everyone loves it, so we have to talk about it all the time. And I get that, I get that. It's part of the machine. But uh, yeah, my Twitter mentions uh, will be, we'll be very much better off as a result of this. And I also just think that like, the general football population will be like 12% happier, and just won't be aggressively shouting and screaming at each other in the lead mm. up to the award, which will be nice. Can't go to
2: the Ballon d'Or ceremony and have steak and red wine and stuff afterwards.
1: Yeah, that's true. That's true. All uh, right, let's I'm not rub it in. Like I've been to the last two. They are fun, but I'm ready to take a little break if it's for the better of the sport.
0: But what, yeah, how what if we need to find time. out if Virgil van Dijk wears aftershave? Like, where are we going to get our big exclusive this year? <laughs> I mean, aside from your personal happiness, Sam, um, there are a lot of people angry that the Ballon d'Or has been cancelled. And to be perfectly honest, I can see why. It, it's a decision that doesn't really make any sense you know the the statement that france football gave out about it protecting the validity of the award and seems to kind of undermine the fact that football is still going on. We have a Champions League. At no point had I thought up to that point that any of these things were tainted or, you know, I came out and there was all this chat about Liverpool's tainted title and it was nonsense, frankly. And we've come to terms that this Liverpool side are more than worthy champions. Real Madrid, more than worthy champions in Spain. And Bayern Munich, more than worthy champions in Germany. And, And you look at these things and you think, okay, but I hadn't thought up to this point there was any sort of asterisk. But now the fact that France football have come out and said, oh, we don't think this, football's, this season's football has been you know, sensible enough to award this award makes me reconsider that. And I think that's unfair because I don't think that you can just suddenly be like, right, no, football doesn't count this year.
1: No, I think it's really weird. I think it's, it's really, really strange. The only thing that we are missing from the football calendar is the Euros which like to be fair does play a, a pretty major part in the Ballon d'Or rankings but you just you just adjust what you're watching you just also, the they'll just now on- be
0: in next year's Ballon d'Or
1: rankings like it's not like we're suddenly going to ignore them yeah it's, i just i did find it really strange i started going down the rabbit hole of some conspiracy theories and things like that and i decided to jump straight back out of it but i do think that fundamentally to not have a Ballon d'Or this year is odd and if they were looking at protecting the validity and the integrity of the award, I think they should look a little bit closer to home and start judging it over an appropriate time period, such as over a season's basis rather than a calendar year, which literally no major European league runs their league on. So like there's, there's, there are problems with the Ballon d'Or and it's not, it's not that everything was behind closed doors. So look, I'm just happy that I don't have to deal with this uh, for the rest of the year. Well
0: you haven't finished with it just yet I'm afraid because I'm going to ask you who would be your current front runner for the Ballon d'Or and uh, Dean I'm gonna give you a minute to think about it Sam you're going in hot.
1: Yeah I mean this is I guess it's kind of easy for me to make this call because I had done a behind closed doors article which was ranking the best players that have played solely on the behind closed doors action Um, and I came out to the conclusion that Robert Lewandowski has been the best player behind closed doors. And it's not as if he was any slouch in January and February either. So he'd be my pick. And while I'm absolutely, I'm just gassed that the Ballon d'Or has been scrapped, Lewandowski should be really, really, really annoyed because he, I think he's the front runner uh, for this one. He's scored tons of goals, 21 this year, 12 in 10 behind closed doors, which is a phenomenal record. scored in every single game he played except one. Uh, The last goal he scored was his chip over Hrideszki in the Pokal final, which was just beautiful like he has been sensational and he will be feeling pretty annoyed right now. I I, I can guarantee. And I think he was in, in pole position.
0: Okay. Dean, I'm going to go to you. I know you're a big Papu Gomez fan.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Sam's probably right. Like if it probably was
2: going to be Lewandowski's year, um, unless there's a bit of romance in the old competition and that man, Ronaldo's still in the running. I mean, you just never know, to be honest. Like, we had a bit of a conversation, didn't we, once this was cancelled and we were trying to think who else would have been in the run-in and we are going through all these other names and we hadn't even mentioned Ronaldo. And then Sam was like, well, I guess Ronaldo's been all right. And then you look at it, he's like, oh, yeah, hang on. He went at to the top of the league. He's scored 20 goals since the turn of the year. I think he's only failed to score in one league game since restart. Um, he's still in the Champions League. If he turns that tie around and pushes them through and then does that again... Suddenly, he would have been the front runner for it. Um, it. It just doesn't take a lot for Ronaldo to suddenly jump over everybody to to win this award, and I think that he actually gets priority over everybody. So if Ronaldo has a season that's just a little bit worse on the personal front to Lewandowski, but wins a few other team prizes, he
1: gets it. Um, so I reckon Ronaldo probably. Would have been there. Just had a quick count on the goals. 22 in the calendar year. So just one ahead of Lewandowski as a result yeah. of, of him scoring twice against Lazio. Uh, yeah, and, and becoming only the fifth player in the
0: history. or fourth. And then the fifth was right after him to, to score 30-plus goals in a, a lovely penalty in a seven. season.
3: It was. <laughs> Shut I mean, up. I mean, I would like to... <laughs>
0: I'd like to raise, if you are putting that in, then Messi's actually got 15 goals and 50 assists, uh, yeah, which makes him the highest goal contributions in 2020, even though he hasn't had a particularly good season. But that said, I would be giving mine to Karim Mercedes Benzema. Um, 23 games, 12 goals, 4 assists, 1 La Liga trophy. But more than that, the way he's sort of led this Real Madrid side to the trophy, the way he has just put his kind of body on the line. But also, you know, on top of that, that we look at those back heels, we had those moments and we were like, Benzema's just turned on the source and it it doesn't matter. He's just become such a figurehead for this side. And after so much criticism and so much, you know, discussion of how he might need to be replaced, how he doesn't bring the goals that Real Madrid need, he has just stepped up his game again and again and again. And I think it's probably about time that someone put some respect on Benzema's name,
1: because the man is a genius and should be recognized as such. Yeah, well, we all love him here, obviously. I think he's probably in that slight tier below, uh, maybe like Lewandowski and Ronaldo in this Ballon d'Or hunt, but he's right up, he's right in it, top, top five, top six or whatever it is. And, well, yeah. If
0: Real Madrid go on to win the Champions League, you'd have nah. to say he'd become a front runner.
1: Yeah, I mean, it depends how good he is. But yeah, if they win it, it's obviously because he was good. So I think that's a pretty safe prediction to make.
0: Well, talking of Real Madrid, it is about time we got onto this week's main topic, which is Real Madrid themselves and, of course, their bitter rivals, Barcelona. So after the break, we're going to be joined by Phil Kitromolides from the Spanish Football Podcast, who's going to tell us what life has been like in Madrid. (laughs) Welcome back to BR Football Ranks, where we are delighted to be joined by Phil Kitremelidis from the Spanish Football Podcast. Phil, thank you so much for joining us.
3: And thank you for practising my surname and pronouncing it absolutely perfectly. I, I try. I try really yes. hard.
0: And let's talk Real Madrid because it's been some weeks, right? And, and what's the reaction been like to, to the title in Madrid? How have the fans celebrated? How have the players celebrated? And how have the celebrations been around the city?
3: yeah i mean there haven't been any celebrations around the city that's been quite striking um real madrid put out a statement on the club website saying please if we win tonight on thursday don't go out and celebrate don't go to plata where they usually go and congregate please stay at your in your home and people did um there were no images of no any celebrations at all so from that point of view um it's been a bit strange because we're used to seeing tens and tens of thousands of Real Madrid fans gathering in, in Cibeles, but there wasn't anyone there. And that was actually really good to see. I think people were a bit worried about what might happen, but they were uh, very relieved to see that Real Madrid fans heeding the uh, the advice and the uh, the desires of the, of the club and the, and the, and the police as well. Um, it's a really big deal for Real Madrid. I've been living here for eight years, and this is only the second league title that they've won. There's been a serious domestic domination by by Barcelona and to take this title off them albeit in difficult hopefully unique unrepeated circumstances is a, is a really big deal so everyone's really really happy but obviously they couldn't celebrate it as they, as they would have liked.
2: That is pretty mad isn't it you've been there for eight years and this is only the second Real Madrid title that <laughs> you've seen you never would have thought that I, when you moved there.
3: I mean I've seen a lot of Champions Leagues yeah, uh, but sure. yeah but only the second league title so um so yeah it is it is and um I've never seen Zidane as euphoric as he was on Thursday night not after the first second or third Champions League title not after his first league title um nothing this this was this was this was special I think for him and he always says you know the league is the most important thing it's about the day-to-day day-to-day work is the most important thing for me he repeats that phrase again day-to-day the day-to-day and um yeah he was absolutely delighted really really happy because, um, he, as he always says, the league is the one that shows you that you have been the best team and they have been the best team in Spain this season.
1: He's probably had to repeat that over and over again because I think he had to convince some of the players that that was the case. I mean, from, from the outside looking in, at least over the years where they were in the Champions League, it felt like uh, that crop of players as successful as they were on the European nights, obviously cared about the Champions League more than they did La Liga. And Zidane has actually had to repeat that over and over again to just make sure that they all get on the same page as him. And they have done
3: yeah yeah perhaps i mean it's it's funny i mean the players look pretty happy as well and they were celebrating in their training ground because they were playing in the training ground they weren't playing in the burnabout and it was completely empty and yet they all look really delighted as well so yeah uh, perhaps some of them you know maybe on a subconscious level get a bit more seduced by the glamour of of the champions league i think a lot of fans do don't they the champions league is more is more glamorous but the league as we as you said is the one that proves that you have been the best
2: so phil we are called br football ranks where would you rank this in Zidane's success stories.
3: Well, I mean, I think for him it's 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 right up there. Um, I mean, don't forget that they came back from the suspension of the season, and they were two points behind Barcelona. I mean, okay, um, it's mm-hmm. only two points, but they were still behind Barcelona, and they won every game, he finished five points clear of them. It's a really big turn around in a, in a relatively short space of time. So yeah, I think this is this is right up there. Obviously, his league title in 2017 that was also accompanied by a by a Champions League title as well. So league and Champions League double is a pretty good season but yeah I would I would say that this is this is right up there um, and because of the difficult circumstances with which it was it was played in and he, he spoke a lot about those difficult circumstances about um, getting the players to work hard while they were at home and then come back and train and training really hard as well. So this is right up there. It's a really big deal. If
2: you were to um, look at the squad and the way that they've managed to get over the line, who would you rank as the three most important players in in this La Liga title success? Um, People obviously (laughs) pick out the same names, but for you, who's the one, two, three?
3: Can I do a one, two, three, four, or is that pushing it? You can, yeah,
2: absolutely. You can uh, include Casemiro by all means. <laughs>
3: <laughs> so basically, it's the it's the spine of the squad, isn't it? Um, Benzema, Casemiro, Ramos, and, and Courtois, who are the four players that have played the most number of minutes in in La Liga. But I think that 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 um that spine of the squad has been absolutely vital. Uh, Benzema's goals, 21 goals for him. I suppose you have to say he's he's been probably the most important player. Then Thibaut Courtois at the other end, winning the Samora Trophy for the best goalkeeper. In Spain, first time a Real Madrid goalkeeper's won it since 2008. He's made some really good saves as well. And actually, earlier on in the season, he was being questioned by quite a lot of people. It shows a lot of mental fortitude for a goalkeeper to be questioned, to come back and put in a really, really strong uh, second half of the season. So, Portois definitely there. And then Ramos in, in third position, just because Sergio Ramos is a leader, second top scorer for the side. Uh, and, but Casemiro has been sensational as well. So, those four in that order. But basically, everyone has played pretty well. Certainly, in the last 11 games of the season, Luka Modric came back from a lockdown in unbelievable form, defying his 35 years of age. It's ridiculous how good he's been at at that age. Um, Raphael Varane's been been superb as well. has been important and and promising uh, performances from from Marco Asensio as well. So yeah, there's been there's been loads of loads of really good players. But yeah, I'd say those four probably in that order, are probably the most important for Real Madrid.
0: The spine of of this squad has been so crucial. And and, and something I think that we've we've looked at and we've been talking about as a kind of more general thing is that when Barcelona came back, they were very sluggish. and, And it was actually a lot of people saying, well, the squad's quite old. But as you pointed out there, you know, Luka Modric came back from the break you know with a renewed vigour. sergio ramos was unbelievable benzema these aren't players in the in the sprites of their youth either you know and you know it, it's easy to say about barcelona be like oh it's an aging squad and the players took a while to come back but it just didn't seem that way for for madrid how much of that do you think comes down to mentality and desire because i suppose it has got to the point where it just looks like madrid weren't going to lose a game at no point did it you know did it seem that Madrid weren't going to let this title get away from them. As soon as it was back in their hands, you were like, well, that's it. It doesn't matter anymore. And I think that that's something that, you know, has got to come down to one Zidane, but also to, to the squad's
3: mentality as a whole. So my uh, co-host on the, the Spanish football podcast, Sid, Sid Lowe, who a lot of listeners will, will know, obviously Guardian football correspondent in, in Spain. He's got a theory and his theory is that as soon as this league title became like a Champions League, Real Madrid clicked into gear, and they were like, "Right, we're in beast mode. We're going to win every game. We're going to we're going to win this because it was eleven games, eleven games to glory. Win every game, and you're league champions." And it was a little bit like a Champions League, and that is the kind of they just switched into that mentality. So it might be. I mean, he's been banging on that theory for a while now, and I think he might have he might have a point. Um, <laughs> Just a a quick one. I mean, my day job, I work for, for, for Real Madrid TV and during lockdown, we interviewed Sergio Ramos from his house and he was speaking to us and he said, I think I'm in better shape now than I was during the season. I'm training harder now at home than I was during the season not to necessarily put a dampen on how hard he was working during the season but he <laughs> was really really going for it at home and I'm sure a lot of people listening would have seen some of the photos of Sergio Ramos and how unbelievably ripped he looked
2: Conor um, McGregor is called these days I think
3: yeah, with the beard and the physique and the tats, he is, yeah, the the, the Spanish Conor McGregor maybe, but it paid dividends. So, um, so yeah, I think partly it's the mentality of when it kind of became a mini little Champions League. And partly it's the the, the, the relentless hard work that the players did at home to keep in top physical shape, which, which served them in good stead. Was
2: there a highlight, Phil, when, a, moment, a moment when you thought it all come together and that was it
3: well in terms of post lockdown uh, I think maybe the key game was a way to athletic club uh, at San Mames um, one of the toughest away games of the season athletic had the best home defensive records uh, of any team in Spain um, it was hot as well it was a two o'clock kickoff it was really hot in San Mames it was always going to be a tough game and they managed to grind out a one nil win and from there I thought right okay um, yeah yeah they could win this now and um, Sid was saying to me Real Madrid from the start of the mini mini season after lockdown he said Real Madrid are going to win every game you just do watch and I said no I don't think so you know I I can see them slipping up you know but after that that game in, in Bilbao, I was like, Nah, no, nah, no, nah. they're going to they're gonna win every game now, they're, they're, they're going to win this. In terms of a highlight of the season as a whole, it's got to be the 2-0 win against Barcelona at the, at the, at the Bernabeu, um, simply because um, Real Madrid have lost a lot of games to Barcelona at the Bernabeu in, in recent seasons, some of them by really quite embarrassingly big scorelines, so to beat them 2-0, uh, to have two young players as well score the goals, Vinicius and, and Mariano, um, that was probably the highlight of the season for Real
0: Madrid I mean just to kind of round things off if, if you will Phil is the you know we, this seems like a Real Madrid squad that's built to go forward for the first time in ages and maybe at complete odds to the the camp of the Blaugrana side of this divide it, it seems like a club that knows what it's doing that's well equipped for the future that seems to have its you know it, it's, it's it's own house in order if you will mm. um, and you know looking forward to next season and and how how do you see things playing out obviously there's a Champions League in the middle of this and you know the Champions League especially this year is going to be more of a lottery than ever so I find it hard to to look at that and be able to be like okay we're going to predict that this or this is going to happen because of the way that it's going to be played out in in that kind of format but looking at next season and going forward for Real Madrid it, it does appear that the the club knows exactly what it wants to do and and seems to have things in in hand, really.
3: In stark contrast to Barcelona, uh, yeah. yeah Though the, the one thing I, I would say was that the last time that Real Madrid seemed to be that far ahead of of Barcelona was uh, a few seasons ago in Esteban Alvera's first season in charge. Real Madrid had just beaten Barcelona. I think it was five one aggregate in the Spanish Super Cup. And Gerard Piquet said for the first time, I feel inferior to Real Madrid. That season, Barcelona finished seventeen points clear of Real Madrid. And the season after that, I think they finished nineteen points clear of Real Madrid. So. <laughs> (laughs) It doesn't necessarily mean that um, we're going to see a period of dominance now for Real Madrid. However, uh, institutionally, they are in an infinitely better position than Barcelona, who are an absolute mess. And also there's been a pretty pointed strategy from Real Madrid to try and identify young talent and bring them in at perhaps smaller, quote unquote, prices uh, and, and, and build them up into superstars like Vinicius. Like Rodrigo, you can even talk about Marco Asensio as well, who's still only 24 and crossed 3 million euros from Mallorca a few seasons ago. Those kind of players coming through the ranks and, um, and hopefully, from a Real Madrid perspective, setting them in good stead for the future. There is an older section of the squad. You mentioned Benzema, who's 32. Ramos is 34, Modric is 35, but they're all probably, I, I mean, Benzema and Ramos have probably had one of their best ever seasons for Real Madrid just now. Luca Modric has had an incredible end to the season as well. So they don't look like they're slowing down anytime soon. And yeah, Real Madrid are planning for the future with fede Valverde in midfield as well who's who's, who's 21 tony cross is 30 casemiro is only 28 he's got a good few years to go as well so so yeah i'd um, i'd i'd agree with you uh, cautiously that, that 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 real Madrid look in much better shape than than barcelona at the moment and um uh, that's that's good news for real madrid fans let's see let's see if barcelona do manage to get themselves in better shape institutionally, but it doesn't look like that's going to happen anytime soon. No,
0: no, very much not. Well, Phil, thank you so much for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast.
3: Yeah, no, thanks for having me. Nice to speak to you.
0: And uh, where can our listeners find you for the uh, the remainder, of, well, for the for the summer break and beyond?
3: Yeah, we do the Spanish Football Podcast. Uh, we're taking a break over the summer, but we've got a Patreon, patreon.com forward slash TSFP. If you want specific Spanish content over the summer, come and listen to me and Sid. And uh, yeah, um, keep doing the great work that you guys are doing as well. Very
0: much the same right back to you. Thank you so much, Phil. It's been a pleasure. Cheers. Well, thank you so much to Phil for joining us. Some real insight there from the heart of Real Madrid. Sam, I thought it was really interesting what you were saying about Madrid being set up for the future there. And I know this is something that you've been thinking about a reasonable amount and how this squad looks going into next season, because there's so much talent out on loan. And I wanted to kind of see where you were on this Madrid squad and and how you think it would look given that we're actually going to have a very short middle season, including a Champions League, which they going to have to focus on. And, and Dean's going to talk a little bit more about signings or non-signings. But the fact that Florentino Perez has come out and said that they're not going to be making any big name signings this summer. Dean, I'll start with you then. Does it make sense to imagine that the only big things coming out of the Bernabeu are going to be outs this year?
2: Yeah, I think so. Um, But the problem is they can't even do the big outs that they want because they want to get rid of Gareth Bale and they can't get rid of him. So that's a big problem for them. The only way I see Bale having any sort of exit from Real Madrid is if um, in China they make some sort of new exemption rule to the salary caps so that maybe teams can have one big earner or something come in uh, maybe they're going to fix a way to get around that because I do think it will quite it will hurt the league to, to suddenly have a salary cap from where they were heading so I'm sure they will try and put something into place and Bale needs a route like that because it's become quite clear I think that Bale likes money I think that we've, we've discovered that in the in the last year or so at Real Madrid, two years. And in fact, he's got two years left at Madrid and he's quite happy to sit there in the stands earning his money rather than playing football anywhere. One is quite sad, but um, two is just quite telling, really. So I think that something like that has to happen because he, he's not going to be moving to, for ambition at this stage. Um, I think one player that they can get rid of is Luka Jovic. Um, I hate saying this um, because obviously... We've been a big supporter of the lad. We thought he might be able to do it if he could just get through this first season and get the chances he needed. He hasn't had the opportunities um, that he needed to make a difference at Real Madrid. So they're having to consider getting rid of him. Arsenal want him um, if they're open to a loan deal. If not, then it's going to be difficult because they're not going to get back that 70 million euros that they spent on him. So then they've got to consider what other options there are in the market. West Ham are quite keen on taking him. They'd Obviously. Like West,
0: West Ham buy West, anyone.
2: they are always interested. But of course, they've got Sebastian Allaire. So maybe they want to bring back the Dream Team. They're going to get Redwich as well. Maybe they'll do that. Um, <laughs> and then Napoli are interested as well. But And they would like to buy him, but don't have 70 million euros. I think maybe even half that amount would, would be tricky for them. Um, I could put a pen up for sale and West Ham would try and buy it. <laughs>
3: Absolutely.
2: And then you've got Danny Ceballos, players like that. Ceballos, you know, three years left on his Madrid contract. Realistically, he's not going to play there, I don't think. I mean, Sam might have him included in his plans in a minute, but I doubt it. Um, Let's talk talk of Arsenal making that deal permanent. Um, 23 million is the figure being thrown around at the moment. Um, It looks like a deal that would suit all parties, to be honest. I think Sabayas looks really happy there under Arteta. Um, You're starting to see now how he can influence that team and that model that Arteta's starting to build. Obviously, Arteta's having to have a bit of a rethink about how quickly he can get that team playing the exact style of football he'd ideally want, but he's getting there. Um so would fit perfectly and I think he just really needs that confidence right now.
0: He's been magnificent since the, since the turn of the, the season or, or since the restart. I think I saw something the other day. He's ranked first at Arsenal for touches, key passes, dribbles completed, tackles, interceptions, ball recoveries and distance covered. And I did warn you, I will say that after the restart was going to be Danny Sabayos season. Uh, and, you know, Danny Sabayos obviously agreed because he retweeted me. Um, but, uh, but I think that it is one that you're right. Dean. seems to fit all parties. Jovic, I think it will, doesn't seem to be the player that Real Madrid need. They need their nine to be more complete. I think then, then Jovic isn't that something we overlooked when we were looking at who was going to fill the goal drought left by Cristiano. And actually, it's been more of a team effort, which means your nine has to do more of a general thing. Somewhere I'd love to see Lukijovic is AC Milan. Obviously, the Zlatan thing is going to come to an end here uh, this summer, and they're going to need someone to, you know, I like Rafael Leal, but, uh, you know, I don't think he can carry that tack on his own. Uh, and I think that Jovic could go in there and and really do lay down a marker because this Milan team are, are starting to get their
1: acting. Jovic, I wouldn't give up on Jovic. Um, I think what we found, what I overlooked in the summer when when pimping him to Real Madrid or pimping him to anyone is just how intrinsically wired this Real Madrid team are around Benzema, which is just the natural byproduct of a decade of him at the helm. And Jovic is not the same kind of player. Fair. But I think any striker is going to have have trouble walking into Real Madrid. So I would keep him just because if they buy somebody else, they'll have the same problem. The yeah. problem is he's not Benzema. And given that Benzema is at an all-time high in stock and performance, I genuinely wouldn't bother. And so I would just keep Jovic as the, as the rotator and just ask his teammates to pass to him a little bit more, maybe give him a chance. And... Um, and I'd sell... Well, Hamas is gone. Oscar Rodriguez, stock high, uh, sell him. And then there's a couple of other players like Mayoral and Vallejo who are not good enough to play for Real Madrid. And their contract comes up next year, so get rid of them. Ceballos, the only loser in the deal for Ceballos for that Arsenal thing is Real Madrid because £23 million is too cheap for a player of Ceballos' quality. But whatever. If it has to happen, it has to happen. I think Kubo goes back on loan. I think they have, to sell, they have to send Brahim Diaz on loan. If they're not willing to bring Regulon in... They're going to have to loan him out again if they want to stick around with Marcelo for another year. Um, and that leaves you with like not that much to do, to be honest with you. I think Real Madrid might need a backup goalkeeper, uh, which is not the sexiest move. I think they could do with a right back if, if Zidane really doesn't like Odriozola. I mean, it seems like he really doesn't like him because he sent him on loan to Bayern in January and didn't get any cover and risked going the entire half season without a second right back. That tells you where Odriozola's stock is. But again, it's whether or not it it comes up. And I think they could use a Casemiro rotator, a DM, if if they can find the right deal. But with Valverde able to play there, with Modric showing some great form, as Phil said, with Odegaard maybe coming back in if he wants to break off his two-year loan at Sociedad, not in a position where they have to do anything because they have Vinicius... They have Rodrigo, they have Mendy, they have Militao, they have all of these young players, Valverde and Odegaard maybe. They have all these young players that can come in and play a first team role and freshen up this team. And they have such depth already and without adding in all the extra loanies.
0: Would you bring think- back Odegaard, Sam? Is it time?
1: I would do it if he if he's if he's okay with it because obviously he he looks pretty happy with Sociedad dad and there's obviously a very big advantage of getting a, a, with Sociedad dad qual, qualifying for european football of Martin Odegaard going and playing european football that's that's great for him but I think he's ready to play a role for this team he's ready to play a bigger role than Hamas has done all season and if Odegaard if you go to him and say you up for it mate you'll get 10 starts but you'll get you'll, you'll get you'll get you'll get your chance if he's happy to do that then I'd bring him back
0: what about Isco? This is a question that we keep coming back to, um, and part of me thinks that Isco is just going to stay at Real Madrid for his entire career and just like chill. and And I'm completely fine with that because if I was that handsome, I would also just chill and like occasionally play for Real Madrid. But, um, you know, part of me also thinks that maybe Isco wants to like play some games or something. Uh,
1: yeah. Who knows? I mean, Isco, you keep him for his talent. Zidane seems to flip-flop on him, right? So he has these players that he clearly doesn't like, like Odriozola and like Ceballos, which is why I'm absolutely certain that Ceballos leads because Zidane just doesn't want to play him, right? Um, but Isco, Zidane has this kind of love-hate relationship with him where he'll like turn to him for a month and he'll look like he's going to make him a, a key cog. And then he'll just like, Send him to the bench for a month as well, and I just don't know how he feels about him. Yeah, it's a weird one. It's a weird one. I mean, there's never, there's, there's been rumours
0: of him leaving for years, uh, yeah. none of which have ever materialised, and none of which I'd imagine Dean have ever really taken any sort of leaps forward. I, I don't know if there's ever been more than just interest in Isco that he, if
2: he was available, he's never been available. No, Man City were in for him a couple of years ago, just maybe three years ago now. Um, and that was quite genuine. I think at that stage, they the way that city were being built, and I think Pep thought he could he could use Isco. But at that stage, Isco didn't want to leave. Still thought he could become a key player at Real Madrid. Uh, I don't think he's ever going to be a key player at Real Madrid. I think you've just got to, at this stage for Isco accept that you just want to be a player at Real Madrid um, and be happy with that. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, to have a, a career as long as he's going to have at Real Madrid is something that most players would do anything for. Um, and there's always that chance that you do start going to other clubs. And if that next move doesn't get, work out well, you might be sat on the bench somewhere else because confidence plays such a big part in a player like Isco. Um, we'll have to see. I mean, we'll have to see what kind of season Eden Hazard has as well, because, you know, he's admitted that this has been the worst season of his career. Uh, 21 games, one goal, seven assists, 24 injuries. Um, <laughs> It hasn't, it hasn't gone well for him since the move, obviously. I mean, he's got a La Liga title he's under his belt, which is nice, and still in the Champions League, uh, just about. So um, that's interesting for, for him. But I want to see what we get out of Hazard next year. But if if not, maybe Isco can kind of be motivated to put him
1: under pressure. I don't know. Um, I, don't, I just don't see the role for Risco with with Hazard, the commitment to Hazard of €100 million Euros and obviously the knowledge of how good he is, the fact that they don't play with a number 10 any longer – and the potential of Odegaard coming in to play that eight slash ten role. The fact that you've got to get Vinicius minutes. The fact that Rodrigo needs to play. The fact that you can't get Bale off the books. Like, I I, I don't see the role for Risco. So I don't. I think he should probably leave. But like, how much how much is Risco going to cost? Like, okay, he hasn't played very much. The stock isn't very high. But that guy costs at least. But well, if they're selling Ceballos for twenty-three million, you'd yeah. maybe say that Isco
0: might be going for thirty-five if you oh, were lucky. On. No, it but you good. might. Well, no, I agree. I don't think Isco is. I, I don't think Isco is worth thirty-five million. I think he is worth more than that. But I also think that Danny Ceballos is probably worth fifty million.
2: Well, this isn't, that's the other thing. Like, this isn't the market where you sell an Isco, is it? Because you, you know, maybe last year when oh. Yeah. This year originally might have been a good year because it looked like there's going to be a lot of money thrown around. But now that's probably not going to be the case. You know, what's he going to be offered? Like
1: Everton or or something like that? Like he can't be going down that. That's kind of the street. It's a buyer's market, not a seller's market because of the coronavirus. And if you are a a club like Real Madrid with so much money and an ability to swallow like the wages of these players, you're better off holding on to a player like Isco.
0: Yeah, that's just not a bad shout. Well, I mean, let's flip the script a little bit here and and let's go from a club who seem to have their house very much in order to a club where the house has been blown up and uh, everything (laughs) seems to be all over the street. Um, And let's talk to someone on the Blaugrana side of the El Clasico divide, Mr. Rick Sharma... (laughs) Welcome back to BR Football Ranks. We are delighted to be joined by a man from the other side of the El Clasico Divide, Rick Sharma, a Spanish football journalist based in Barcelona. Rick, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me on. It's... um... It's not gone to plan, has it, basically, for Barcelona? And we've spent the first half of this episode basically discussing how well it's gone for Real Madrid and everyone in, in the white half of this kind of divide is, is over the moon at the moment. And things don't look so good from a Blaugrana perspective.
4: No, things look very bleak indeed. The only saving grace is that the Champions League is still to come. That's their only hope of winning anything this season now. And if they can win that, it will suddenly make everything seem a lot better. Kind of how, like for Real Madrid over the past few years, they've done terribly in La Liga and then have just washed it all away with a Champions League win. So if they can do something in the Champions League, that'll be really good. But there's been a lot of big problems for Barca.
1: Just want to provide some context here. It's gone terribly for Barca. 82 points. Uh, you know, fans of other teams, fans of the large majority of teams around the world would just love to get 82 points. But in Barca context, it has just gone spectacularly wrong, hasn't it, Rick? And we wanted to talk to you about maybe if you could distill uh it maybe in three reasons why, given we're all BR football ranks, you know, as to as to how this has transpired.
4: Sure. Yeah, I know. Eight, eight, that many points is 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 huge compared to most other clubs. But for Barca, it's not good enough, especially when they've won the league more often than not in the last decade. I think eight times in the last twelve, thirteen years or something, Barca have won La Liga. So when they don't win it, there's a big problem. One of the reasons for me is the build of the squad. It's an older squad. We've seen that. We've seen how a lot of the key players are into their 30s. Messi's 33. Sergio Busquets just turned 32. Uh, And when you have a three-month break during the season, it's harder for those older guys to come back and immediately be on it. And Barca have got some good young players too. We've seen Ricky Pooj and Ansu Fati this season. When they've been given the chance, they've been good. But they haven't been completely trusted. A little bit more under Kike Seti and then under Ernesto Valverde. But still, not enough. I would have picked Ricky Pooj and Ansu Fati more since the restart. They both played against Bez won 5-0 in the last game of the season. And they were fantastic. And another big blow in terms of the squad was... Upon the restart, in the first game, Frankie de Jong suffered an injury against Mallorca. Barca beat Mallorca in that first game back. But then de Jong was out for a month, which was basically the rest of the season. He only made his comeback against Osasuna, which was the, the final game in which Barcelona could still fight for the title, and they lost that. He only had 11 or 12 minutes off the bench. And missing him hurt because, I mean, I'm not saying he had the best season. It was a solid debut season. He wasn't as good and as effective as he was for Ajax last year. But he, he was instantly a key player for Barca. He was in the side and he was starting every single match. So to lack him in the last crucial few weeks of the season was a big blow too. Yeah, the key assets,
1: outfielders anyway, that are sort of sub-30 for Barca, the list is so small. And when you reduce it even further by losing Frankie de Jong for a month, it's tough. I mean, the point about the older players, I guess with Real Madrid, we've seen Sergio Ramos come back, it, it better, looking better than ever defensively, I, w- I would argue and karen benzema you know mercedes benzema as we love to call him on this podcast like he's just he's just been incredible i guess maybe the difference there is that there are two players that are 30 plus there rather than like a horde of them right
4: yeah exactly i and i think ramos we'll, we'll get we'll get onto barcelona's mentality a bit later uh, but ramos just has a uh, an absolute winning mentality and i don't, I don't think i think during that Every day during the three month break, he was probably thinking about how he could help drive Real Madrid on to win the league and recover the ground in Barcelona. Because they came back with a two-point lead, Barcelona. So it was in their hands and they threw it away. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and and taking on from, from
0: your point, Rick, I think something that's interesting, and Sam and I have discussed it at a reasonable length before is you've you said there about Ricky Puget and about Ansu Fati, but also we haven't seen, you know, this pipeline really explode into life you know Sergio Roberto obviously has come through but aside from that you see actually quite a lot of these players who were supposed to be the next generation of of this Barca system you know farmed out we never saw Carlos Zelenia really get much time in the team we never really saw uh, a lot of these players and and when Setien came in he talked a lot about Alex Collado being a player that he, he thought might feature we haven't seen anything of Alex Collado and the kind of mood around the whole thing seems to be that the pipeline has kind of dried up and i think that that's hurting people and you know there was people like even if you go back a little bit further sergey sample was was hailed as this kind of savior and he's off in japan sort of floating around not really doing anything and, and there's so many different elements to this but it does appear that that kind of pipeline that fed the glory years of these last 12 13 years as you said appears to have not been trusted or has stopped producing the top level talent than it once did.
4: Yeah, I would completely agree with that. Uh, in terms of it's not being trusted, I think the talent is still there. I mean, Serge, speaking just about Sergi Sampa, I think injuries were a big problem for him. He might have been, he might have been someone to break the sort of recent pattern of those players not getting into the team. But he just had terrible luck with injuries. I think Carlos Elena might still make it at Barcelona. I expect. I mean, it depends who the coaches next season. It might not be Kike uh, I expect Elena will get a chance next season if if the coach is, is kind of in favour of that. It's a bit difficult now they've signed Pianek from Juventus because that kind of blocks up another midfield space with an older player. I mean, he's 30-odd, so it's, it's not ideal. But there are good talents at La Messiah. Ricky Pooj and Ansu Fati, are, those two, you have to say. I mean, they've actually had the chance this season. They look to me, especially Ricky Pooj, he's, he's going to make it, I think. He is going to be quality. He is doing stuff we haven't seen Play young players do at Barcelona since Iniesta since Xavi Hernandez the other thing is football these days and it's cranked up in the last few years has become so results focused 10 years ago you could have a bit more time you could have these seasons you know you would still get in trouble at Barcelona if you had a bad season a disaster of a season but it was fine to give players like Pedro or players like Xavi Iniesta the chance to come through. Play Collado. If, if, if you've got like, top-class professionals in the squad, Arturo Vidal, on the bench for Barca, and Collado's in the team, then and Barca don't win, then there's just like, so many excuses and reasons to be able to sack you. Because <laughs> How could you not play Arturo Vidal or Ivan Rakitic when you're playing Collado and you lose the game? There's, just no, there's no time and there's so much pressure for these coaches now.
0: Yeah, there's no room to, to room to bend them in. Let let's move on to uh, to the second reason, Rick.
4: Second reason, I think for me, has been Kike Setyan. I know you're you like Kike Setyan, as you said earlier. I think everyone likes Kike Setyan. He's obviously a very nice man, he's a very clever man, <laughs> he's played great football at Betis. You know, it's it's he's he's just a good guy, but is he a winner? I don't I don't think he is. He's never won anything in his career. And when you've got players like Lionel Messi who've won absolutely everything by the World Cup and all the Spanish national team players like Pique and Busquets who have won absolutely everything, I mean, it's kind of hard for them to respect and follow him fully. Like, you know, these guys have seen it all done when Setien comes in. And, I mean, Setien's attitude from the start has not quite been right for me. He's come in and he's talked about how he was walking in the field with the cows uh, you know, in his his press conference when he was announced, you know, and then suddenly he's Barca coach. It feels like it's a competition winner, to be honest. I mean, <laughs> I, I, not I don't want to so be too mean. Hard. It's I know, so mean. I know, but 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 really, I mean, maybe it's just that he's such a generous and unassuming and a nice man, but it really doesn't feel like he's got the steel that you need to to harness a squad with such big personalities and and massive characters that that Barca have and say what you like about Ernesto Valverde. And I know a lot of international Barca fans at least do, do, do have, do hold him in bad opinions and sure Barca weren't playing lovely football with him in charge but he won the league twice and then he was sacked with Barcelona top of the table. So, <laughs> I mean, like, he right now is looking at this like, you know, I did everything I could. I left yeah. with Barca two points clear at the top of the league,
1: more with, or less. Valverde <laughs> is uh, a different, different to in the way that he can shrug off criticism as well, right? So he had this kind of like, um, this approach where like, if you would criticize him or you'd say something to him that is provocative, he just, everything is water off a duck's back with Valverde. He can handle the pressure and he can handle the narrative surrounding surrounding Barcelona. And Setien is probably, yeah, just a little, maybe a little bit too philosophical, a little bit too like in the clouds at times. We love his football, uh, but I think the point you raised about him not being a cold, hard winner with that squad, particularly the age of the squad as well, which wraps back in, I think it's fair. And unfortunately, football is not played on a whiteboard because well, if it was, is... Setien would win.
0: Well, I was going to say, this was going to be my addition. And we talked about Setien at length when when he got... You know, got the job and, and we, we talked Sam and I about how we thought he would bring back the philosophy of the way that Barca play and it would go back to that kind of all-encompassing Barcelona that we remember from from those glory years from from the Pep years from the years that followed under Tito and and also like you know it was more kind of okay let's get back to roots and I think a lot of people at the time were basically like we actually don't like the football that Valverde plays it doesn't fill us with any sort of joy and what I thought that Setien would do was bring back some of that joy I think the point being that that hasn't really happened it hasn't gone in the way that if if Barcelona had lost the title and they'd gone back to playing dizzying football that sent opponents into the mud time and time again I think there would be less criticism on, on the back I think it would have been like okay we were beaten by Real Madrid because they ultimately just won more points but if it had been a return to that stylistic kind of element there would have been something to hang on to but we just haven't really seen it. And,
4: and, and honestly, I can't really tell you why. I, yeah, I completely agree with that. I, I can tell you why, I think, because because of the pressure and because of the results, the need for results. I mean, Kike Setien came in, and the first two or three games, we actually kind of did see a bit more of a return to the sort of possession football, lots of passing. Basta was setting like passing records already in his first like two or three games in charge. But it quickly became a kind of Valverde-like kind of football. Which, which to me is like a compromise between what Setien wanted and what he could get out of the players and the need to win. And I mean, he, he was often complaining in the early weeks that the players didn't quite understand what he wanted of them, which when you come in in the middle of a season can be an issue because when you're playing two games a week, you're right into the kind of Champions League and, and La Liga. You're, you've got no time for coaching these players and kind of explaining what you want and stuff. You just have to keep going from game to game, game recovery session, game recovery session there's not much time for kind of building in your ideas and then maybe during the three months break he could have got some more of what he wanted the players to do across but equally I mean it's difficult isn't it no one likes doing stuff over zoom no one likes doing stuff over online what are you I mean, saying about
1: this podcast Rick right?
4: <laughs> <laughs> well you know you can't always you can't always get the point you want across on I mean who knows if the players are going home and watch, I know he's watching these DVDs and stuff. I know he's not there now. There's a funny story about Jeremy Matthew, a former Barca player. This is actually when he was at uh, Valencia, I think. He was, sent, he was sent home with a bunch of uh, DVDs to watch that I think Unai Emery had given him. Yeah. Uh, and, and then and they asked him uh, like what, uh, what happened, uh, what he thought of the DVDs. And he was like, yeah, boss, it was good. I watched everything. And Emery was like, well, actually, we didn't put anything on these discs that we, g- we gave you. We just wanted to <laughs> check if you, were, if you were actually watching these. I mean, who knows if these players especially the ones we've said, who are older, who have been there and done that, are you know, completely, completely focused on, okay, I need to learn this, I need to get this right for Session.
0: Hmm. Or are
4: they just thinking, I've done this, I know what to do, I'm a, I'm a World Cup winner, I'm a multiple La Liga winner. Yeah, no, it makes perfect sense. I mean, if, if that's number two, what's number one? It ties into that too, it's the mentality of things. Barca have had a more fragile mentality than Real Madrid for a long time. Real Madrid came back to this sort of mini La Liga with, with a tournament mentality. They knew win X many games. It was 10 in the end they needed to win because of Barca's draws and, and defeat Barca Sunna. And we lift this trophy because obviously Barca had the lead when they came back. So it didn't actually matter what Real Madrid did if Barca had the right mentality themselves. If they just thought, okay, we just need to win. It's in their hands. But they drew against Sevilla, drew against Celta, drew against Atletico and then lost against Asasuna. And we've seen this before. We saw it last season. They go to Anfield with a 3-0 lead in the Champions League and they lose 4-0. They let Divock Origi score two goals against them. Jorginho Georgina Wijnaldum scored two goals against them. And the season before against Roma with a big lead in the Champions League, lost 3-0. They didn't, and like, you look at these games, the Sevilla draw was the first one in which they lost the initiative. They just didn't have the guts and the gumption to go for it. It wasn't until like really late in the game they were throwing anything at Sevilla. They were just like, OK, you know, you know, we've got to be careful here. Sevilla are a good team. It's like, well, if you're going to win La Liga, you have to be you have to be going to the Sanchez Pijuan and winning. You can't just go there and think, okay, we've got to be careful. Not when there's so few games left. And all this, all this mentality has been summed up by what Lina Messi has said recently. He's come out and he's even said it. He's like, teams are beating us for, the word is ganas they say in Spain, which is like desire and enthusiasm. Teams are beating us on, on intensity, which is, which is ridiculous really. Like, he's right. P- teams are, are playing Barcelona and they don't have better players. No team in La Liga, apart from maybe Real Madrid, have better players than Barcelona. But plenty of teams are giving Barcelona a good game. And Messi's words always have a big impact, and it kind of worked because Bartomeu and Setien had a crisis meeting. In the end, it seems to have been resolved that Setien is going to stay for the Champions League and potentially not for next season. I mean, if they win the Champions League, maybe he'll get a chance. I don't. Other than that, I don't think he'll be there next season, Setien. But uh, they had a reaction against Alaves. They won five nil. The much better performance, obviously it doesn't mean too much because Alaves weren't playing for anything and the pressure was off. You wonder why Barcelona can play like that when the pressure's off. It's because of the mentality. Mm, yeah, absolutely.
1: And also you wonder why when you see Ricky Pooge to bring it full circle, when you see Ricky Pooge put in a performance like that. Now, Ricky Pooge didn't turn into that player in the last four weeks. He's been that player for at least a year, if not two. Because this is a guy in the UEFA Youth League who's shone and just ripped teams apart. So why, are, why is it taking that long for that to happen? And then, of course, why is it only against Alaves and an absolute dead rubber that the other players can catch up to that level? It's really sad to see.
0: I mean, yeah. taking that forward, Rick, how, how do you see this... Sorting it well, not sort yourself out. How do you see it being resolved? Because there's so much going on behind the scenes at Barcelona. Every single time we have these conversations, everything is kind of ghosted, I suppose, behind it by the fact that there are these massive divisions behind the scenes. There is a presidential election coming up in the next year and a half, I believe. There's a whole, you know, a whole set of things that almost over, the politics in Spanish football, I think is potentially more prevalent than anywhere else in the world in the way that the clubs are run and, and the way that things go on behind the scenes in the public eye. And, you know, Setien may well, as you say, not get next season and they might bring in this, you know, been rumours of Patrick Cliver taking over in the last week we've seen. And, you know, there's always going to be those rumours about Xavi being pulled back from Al Saad and and, and that those things are going to, are going to carry on. But ultimately is there more than that? Because Barcelona can't go out and spend, again, the way that they've spent in the last two years. One, because of the coronavirus outbreak, and two, because it's clearly not working. And I'm kind of interested as what your take would be on how the club turns this around going forward. Is it literally a case of, do we wait until the presidential
4: elections are done and then reset from there? I think that is what they're thinking about, yeah, because... I don't think Xavi will come back until those elections. The idea is that he is a candidate for the election called Victor Font, and the idea is Xavi is linked with him. So in Font's campaign, Xavi will come back, and that will be the new era of Barca. I think the team is probably in a lot of trouble next season. Because they can't spend big, you know, maybe they will push everything they have to try and get Lautaro Martinez, and that will help because despite Suarez being, I think, the, uh, the fourth top scorer in La Liga behind Messi, Benzema and Gerard Moreno, I don't think he's he's really beyond the beyond like an amazing finish or two. I don't think he's giving that much to the team. Messi likes him, but you see these balls play up to Suarez and he can't deal with him. He can't make runs that he used to and really like upset the defense. I feel like next season is gonna be trouble for them. The coach probably won't be set in unless he wins the Champions League, like I said, who is it going to be? Who's gonna come in for one year? Patrick Klebert's been linked, but within Barça there's been some sources that spoke to, to a newspaper called Diario Sport, one of the Barcelona newspapers, and they said that the idea of Klaiver, the sources told the paper that the idea of Klaiver taking over is some kind of a sick joke. Like it's not, a, it can't be a serious thing that happens next season. For me, the most likely coach next season could be B team coach Garcia Pimienta. I don't think that's, I mean, like he's well liked at the club and he plays the football at like, But I don't think that's going to be a successful, successful thing. Because there's no chance, absolutely zero chance, that any of the players that haven't respected Kike Setian will respect this guy that's been coaching the B team and the youth levels. I just, I can't see that being, being a serious thing. It could be another year of player power. Potentially, the only way for Barcelona to look at next season in a positive way is to think, okay, so this is the year where we give these players a full season. We give Ansu Fassi a full season. We give Ricky Pooj a full season. We give Cuiado his chance. He gets to play. What about the players who are coming in, like Trinchao? He's looked really good in Portugal. Maybe he gets to have a bedding in season. Maybe Pedro's been at Las Palmas. Gets to have a chance. I mean, uh, Pepe Mel, last Palmer's manager, was saying if I was Barca manager, I would have Pedri in the squad next season. Didn't Dortmund? Sure. Didn't Dortmund oh, or Mönchengladbach come out last week and
0: say that they were really, really keen on taking him on loan next season.
4: Oh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised. They, they've looked quality. And okay, we did say that it's hard to have time to to do anything at this level to give these young players a chance, but i think if, but it's different. if there's, if there's it.
1: an acceptance that it is broken and nothing can fix it really until the elections happen etc etc then maybe everybody goes all right cool like we do need we do need to take a breather here we do need this pause they'll say that and then three games later they'll be like suck everybody because yeah. that's that's Tank, the handkerchiefs all over yeah. the gap. that is the intensity and the pressure that is at play at barca um i wanted to pick your brains on one more thing which is the pianic Artur swap deal in inverted commas um, Mostly from an Artur perspective, because we, um, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we, we we talked about this. I personally, I understand why Barca fans are upset with the, you know, swapping a 23 year old for a 30 year old and getting even older. Um, I get that. But I do feel like some of the Barca fans' irritation with this deal is based on what they think Artur either could be in five years or is in their heads, but isn't on the pitch because he doesn't actually fill me with a load of confidence at all. He's a nice player, but he's not a player that I thought the reaction to losing warranted. And I just wanted to get your take on that.
4: Yeah, I agree. It's, it's to do with the overall look of things and kind of perception around it rather than what Artur has given to Barcelona so far, which hasn't been a great deal. He's good on the ball. He keeps the ball brilliantly. I think that's his best quality is being able to hold on to the ball and pass it, but not always in a kind of useful way. I don't think he plays a lot of aggressive attacking passes. I think he's been disappointing in that front. He hasn't been kind of a midfield Javi who can pass the ball through the lines and create chances. He's mainly been side to side, which is all very well, but you need someone to provide that creativity from midfield and Barca have lacked that really. I mean, even Rakitic doesn't do it. Arturo Vidal doesn't do it. He's a good goal scorer Vidal. He gets his on like nine or something for the season, which is not bad. Vasa need goals from the field, but they also need someone to play really aggressive passes and break the lines. And Arturo simply doesn't do that. Ricky Pooj does do that. We've seen that in the last few games. And for mm. me, despite their perception around signing an old player, and I really hope that Pjanic isn't someone who's going to block Ricky Pooj from coming through and playing most of the games next season, I think it probably is a sensible move to, to make space for Ricky Pooch. I mean, they might have signed a
1: winner because all he's done is win.
4: There might be a, a shift in mentality.
1: Um, Pjanic has basically played Busquets' role for the last two years. I don't know if he has it in him physically at age 30 to play like quite a lot as a number eight and as an up and down number eight. I, in fact, I doubt he does. So my other question there is, like, like how do you fit Pjanic and Busquets into the team? Because they technically want to play the exact same role. Although Busquets obviously... Turning thirty-two, maybe he does need that breather. I, I don't know. There are other questions there, but Pianic is a good player. In fact, we've argued he's he's literally better than tour right now.
4: I'd say, yeah, he definitely is better at the moment. I there's no way I don't think I can see him playing him in the Busquets role next season because Frankie De Jong is there too, and he to me is the natural successor to Busquets. I, this season, he's played more ahead of Busquets and sometimes in the Busquets role. We'll see him in the Busquets role against Napoli because Busquets is suspended for that Champions League game. And I don't know, I think the reason they've, the reason they've signed Pjanic is is balanced in the books. They want to sell uh, Rakitic, they want to sell Vidal, make some money, get Pjanic in, you know, as part of the Arthur, Arthur trade, make a little bit of money on that too, given the age gap between uh, Arthur and, and Pjanic. And then Pjanic is just filling, filling up one of the midfield positions. They will need positions to be filled. I don't think he's going to be... I mean, it depends on the coaches, I suppose, but I don't think he's going to be a key player next season for us. He'll be someone who, who's a safe pair of hands, comes in, like you say, he's a winner, but I, I simply don't see him playing 50 games next season, Janet. No, So basically,
1: he's like the new Rakitic before they've even got rid of the first Rakitic. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, and that bombshell is why Barcelona have loads of issues.
0: Um, so, uh, so I'm glad we've come back to that. And Rick, thank you so much for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure. Cheers. No, it's been great, guys. <laughs> Well, Sam, I wasn't expecting him to be quite so upbeat about the fact that everything is all over the shop at Barcelona.
1: He literally laughed his entire way through what was essentially a post-mortem. It was was quite alarming, actually. Uh, But, you know, I I guess if you don't laugh, you cry with this sort of thing. And Rick covers Barcelona, so... um, it's you want things to be as nice as possible in your life. And if you have to put a, put a smiling face on sometimes when the house is burning down around you, then fair enough. But it was certainly illuminating. And it hadn't quite dawned on me just how difficult next year is going to be for Barcelona, actually, yeah. until, he, until he mentioned the, the difficulties surrounding everything up until the new election. It doesn't feel like there is a reasonable way for, for this to get back in order for at least another year, which is really concerning for a club of that size in that history.
0: Yeah, I mean, Dean, we've talked at length in, in various transfer podcasts and, and Instagrams and all sorts about how Barcelona kind of want to buy players, but also are kind of broke and it's all a bit of a mess. And yes, there will be players sold, but ultimately, you know, as, as as Sam said, this isn't a market to be completely overhauling a squad by any stretch of the imagination. And that really does feel like what they need. And it, it doesn't look like they're going to suddenly be buying loads and loads of players.
2: No, and I think that if they are going to do anything, then it has to be a significant transfer. I don't see any point in, in going for kind of squad players at, at this stage. You know, you've got to go for a Lautaro or a Neymar like maybe just spend your whole summer and trying to make something special happen rather than just signing a fullback that can fill in half the games or another midfielder um, something standout has to happen for them to not catch Real Madrid leapfrog Real Madrid and it won't take that much because as Phil said at the start like you can't always read too much into title wins and how things work out between these two clubs because it, it can so quickly change and it You know, we talked, you know, just a matter of weeks ago about this title race. And I said, I expected Barcelona to win it. I couldn't see Madrid winning every game, Um, but that happened. And and from the opposite side of that, there's no reason why Barcelona can't win La Liga next season. But I do think that they have to start thinking about life after Suarez, life after Messi. And we talk about this all the time, but at some point you really do have to think about this. And the answer isn't Griezmann. Griezmann's not going to fill that void. you need something else to happen. I personally think it's going to be really hard to get Lautaro out of there, out of this summer. I think it's going to cost money that they're just not going to get together. Um, so that's going to be tricky. And the same with Neymar. But as I say, I just feel like something really significant needs to happen at Barcelona to just lift everybody yeah it does
0: feel like real madrid are hugely in the ascendancy sam and barcelona are are starting a period of decline and and nothing that either phil or rick says has massively changed my opinion on that and i think it you know the the feeling around both clubs is so different but you could you could say that that swings quite regularly still and and you would say that 3 years ago they, it very much felt like Real Madrid was in the ascendancy after, you know, triple crowning the, the Champions League. You were like, well, this this team could do anything. And, and even with Cristiano gone, that kind of rehaul last summer looked like it was a really positive thing. It hasn't worked out for a lot of those players. and And it's very... It's impressive how quickly this turns something.
1: It does turn quick. I mean, at the heart of all of this, at the heart of everything we talk about, whether it's Barcelona, Real Madrid, whether it's any rivalry, any game, this, this, this is a game of football. And it is essentially 90 minutes of random chaos actions. Millions of them all happening at different times and literally anything can happen, right? So you just can't predict this stuff. Like Hazard joins for 100 million euros, successes of Ronaldo, breaks his ankle twice, can barely play football. Like this is the sort of stuff that happens, right? Nothing is in football is linear. So it doesn't mean 100% that Barca are screwed. But evidence suggests Barca are screwed. <laughs> Well, and on that bobshell, I think we'll call this
0: episode a day. All that's left for me to do is say thank you very much to Dean Jones. Goodbye. Thank you very much to Sam Tai. Thank you all. Thank you to Phil and Rick for their insights on both sides of this divide. It has been an enlightening episode and thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Jack Collins and it has been BR Football Ranks. Please do keep sharing it with your friends. Keep giving us ratings, reviews on iTunes, the whole shebang.
1: It all helps us to keep the rank squad going. We'll see you next week, gang. Take it easy.